morning all. Um, my name's Tim. I'm your preacher today. I'm not one of the ministers here at church. I'm a holiday fill-in. Our normal staff are all on holidays with their family. Uh, um, now, I might not be in the pulpit very frequently, but the Word of God is here every week. Uh, it's a very good thing. And as Ken has so well introduced, that's what we're looking at today. Uh, we're partway through a series on Christian living. So three weeks ago, we looked at uh, what it lives to live, what it means to live in God's grace. Uh, two weeks ago was living as someone who loves God. Uh, last week was living a prayerful life, and this week is about living by the Bible. Uh, this morning, as we look at that question, keep Deuteronomy open. Chapter 11 will be there a little bit, as well as skipping forward to Matthew 22 a bit later. Now, if I were a Benedictine monk, I'm not. But if I were, my days would be very well structured. Uh, the times of my meals would be set, what sort of food I ate would be set, even how much of that food I would receive would be set. Uh, when, I, when I sleep and where I sleep would be set, even my pyjamas, what I sleep in, would be set. Uh, what I do in the evenings will be well set, what I do during the day will be mostly set for me as well. And it will be all set by the Benedictine rule. That is, 73 chapters written by St. Benedict in the 6th century, saying this is how a monk is to live in a monastery. Now, I'm not a Benedictine monk. I assume you're not either. Uh, if you are, you're probably breaking a rule by being here. Um, however, each of us, Christian or not, consciously or unconsciously, have rules for life, rules of thumb, rules that help us determine what to do in a situation, shortcuts for decision-making. Uh, some of the common ones I come across amongst my friends and uh, colleagues are if it makes you happy or if no one gets hurt or I can do what I like or maximise pleasure, minimise pain or do to others as they would have them do to you or live and let live or the greatest good for the greatest number. There's plenty of them. Uh, you might subscribe to some of those. You might think some of them are a bit rubbish or hard to, hard to achieve. What would a Christian say? A Christian might say, well, I live by the Bible. Well, the Bible is a, a large piece of literature. It isn't a simple axiom like if it makes you happy, nor is it 73 chapters of detail, this is what each day should exactly look like, about where you sleep and what you wear to bed. So what does living by the Bible actually mean? Well, in my day job, I'm an engineer, uh, so we have a well-structured sermon this morning. If you've got the outline, it's got five points, and we're going to move through those five points. The general plan, uh, and now the engineer's laughing at me over there, thank you. Uh, the general plan uh, is to ask the question, well, why would we follow the Bible first? Then we're going to think about how the Bible and God's Word fit together, because they're very similar, but not exactly the same thing. And the last three headings are the practicalities of living by the Bible from different aspects. So first heading, Why? Uh, God's grace leading to obedience. Uh, this sermon series uh, started in the right place. It started with God's grace. Uh, what is God's grace? Um, it's God's generosity or his kindness or undeserved favour or his mercy. And God's grace is where the Christian life starts, it's how it continues and it's where it's going in the future. Uh, Steve in his sermon three weeks ago popped up this diagram on the back of our, uh, can we have it up? Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, there's my uh, little phone snapshot of my sermon notes. Uh, there was that little, little diagram. I think it was helpful. If we accept that there is a God 
And if we accept that that God cares about how we live, then we are going to inhabit one of those three spaces. Uh, if you know and feel God's holiness uh, and you know and feel your own failures, then you've got to be towards the left-hand side of that diagram. You can include there's, there's no hope that God isn't going to come near to you and it's, you certainly can't come near to him. Um, at the right, there is uh, pride and self-righteousness. If you know God's commands and you work hard, diligently at following them, you don't commit any gross evil and objectively when you look at others, you can see that you are better than them. And then it can be easier to land here to conclude that you're the sort of, sort of person God wants on his side and that your goodness is what keeps you there. But both the left and the right are a distortion of reality and wonderful grace is at the centre. For those tending to guilt and despair, well, God's being near to us is just his gift, his generosity, despite our state. And for those at the right, again, it is God's gift, God's generosity, not something that is earned or kept by how you live. Thanks, Adrian. So why review grace from a few weeks ago? Well, most of the rest of today is going to be about obedience, about doing what God says. And if we don't start with grace, then we're going to end up at one of those two extremes. As you hear me say, do what God says, if you don't begin with grace, you're either going to end up discouraged because you can't, or puffed up because you think you do an amazing job at it. As a Christian, we're always looking back to God's kindness on the cross, always looking forward to God's future grace, his promises he's made for us. And it's because of his grace that we want to love him and we want to obey him. Grace leads to love, which leads to obedience. And it's the same pattern in Deuteronomy 11, which we read just before. Uh, Moses is speaking to the nation Israel. Uh, they've left, left uh, slavery in Egypt 40 years earlier. They've spent 40 years wandering the desert. And now they're on the edge of entering the promised land. And the first paragraph, verses 1 to 7, is a review of the past, a review of God's past grace. God, with a mighty hand, has rescued them from Egypt. God's past grace. And now they've, God has protected them, sustained them for 40 years in the desert. And then the next paragraph, verses 8 to 15, well, that's about God's future grace, his promises of this beautiful land that he is giving them and blessing and well-being. And it's in that context of grace that God says in verse 11, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws and his commands always. It's grace first and that leads to obedience. If we're a Christian and we know God's grace, then we are to love God and do what he says. How does God speak to us today? He doesn't speak out of a cloud like he did back then or through the prophet Moses. Well, we have the Bible. So what is the relationship between the Bible and what God says? That brings us to point two, the Bible and God's word. Uh, I was tidying up a bookshelf at home a couple of weeks ago and I came across my old engineering thesis, a bigger sum I did at the end of my degree. Um, as I flicked through it, it's all about computer modelling of fluid flow in pipes. Very exciting. Um, lots of maths. I couldn't understand all of it. <laughs> um, 
It's a nicely bound document. Uh, it contains the truth, as far as I know there's no mistakes in it, or lies, um, but as a piece of literature, as a piece of knowledge, it's pretty dead. Uh, I wrote it 20 years ago, my supervisor read it 20 years ago, and it sat on a shelf ever since. Uh, you certainly couldn't call it a living or active. But what about the Bible? Well, the Bible is God's word. That is, it is written, what is written in the Bible are the words of God from God. They're written by human hands, men and women, over several ages, but they are inspired by the Spirit of God. It is an account of what God has done, a record of his words, a proclamation of his message and his grace to humanity. Uh, there are two classic uh, Bible passages in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and 2 Timothy 3.16, which the kids are doing with Connor. Um, Hebrews says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And 2 Timothy says, All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. A view I come across more frequently these days is that the Bible is a, a record of an ancient nomadic tribe and the God they invented to make sense of life. Uh, and that the understandings of collective humanity have improved since then and listening to Bronze Age ponderings about divinity is really just, just a bit silly. Um, but the Bible is not human reflections on God. The Bible itself is God's word. And yet, a bit like my engineering thesis, the words on a page, they are dead until they are spoken or read or remembered or preached. God's word isn't living and active when it sits on a shelf. God's word is not living and active when it's forgotten by a church. It's not alive if it's not discussed in daily conversation. It's not living if it's not passed from parent to child. And I think that leads to the conclusion that God's word is more than the written, written or printed page. It's almost like the Bible becomes God's word when it's used. The Bible becomes God's word when it's used. And so the next question might be, how do we let God's word live? How do we let it be active? If it is God's word as it's used, then well, how do we use it? How does the Bible live in our lives? That's the next heading. Number three, God's word in community. Now, quite a few of you here have been Christians for some time, have heard many, many more sermons they could count. Uh, and when you saw the sermon topic for today, Living by the Bible, you may have thought, I know what he's going to say. He's going to tell me to read my Bible more, and if he does a good job, he's going to give me five tips on how to do it better. Um, I'm trying really hard not to preach that sermon today. Um, uh, if we think about, in our Christian context, when we think of living by the Bible, we tend to think straight to reading it by ourselves. We tend to think straight to personal meditation on God's Word. And that is commended in the Bible. But it's not where the majority of biblical instruction lies. The Bible talks far more frequently about speaking God's Word to each other 
than it does studying it by ourselves. I was listening to a preacher a few months ago up in Katoomba, and the preacher had a lovely phrase. He said, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. He said, one ear, one ear is for hearing God's word. And as you hear that word, it is to go down into your heart and be transforming you by the Holy Spirit. But he gave you two ears. He, the other ear, the other ear is to hear God's word and then be spoken out your mouth and passed on to another. It's not just for your own heart, it's so it can be passed on. That is why in the final paragraph in Deuteronomy, we read about this idea. That's what this final paragraph is all about, verses uh, 16 to 21, particularly from verse 18. Uh, Moses says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them onto your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's a description of the word of God, the word that's found in our Bible today, alive and active in a community. For the Israelite community back then, the word of God was not reserved just for the priests to speak. It was for everyone to speak. It wasn't reserved just for times of ceremony only. It was to be talked about in everyday life too. It wasn't restricted just for personal study or just for private thought. It was to be shared. It was to be alive amongst his people. And you find the same thing in the New Testament. The classic passage I, I read from 2 Timothy 3, the God-breathed scripture isn't used for personal reflection. It's used for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training others. It's spoken between brothers and sisters in Christ to equip each other for good works. Likewise, Ephesians 5 instructs us, speak to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage each other and build each other up. Or Hebrews 10, let us consider how we spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. One of the things I enjoy doing is cycling. I like to go out for a ride. Uh, and with a few others, yesterday I went out for a ride in the morning, Western Sydney Mountain Bike Park. It was good fun, hills, descents, bank corners, obstacles. Um, but for me, it wasn't quite a typical mountain biking experience. A few years ago, a good friend of mine, Stephen, who's sitting down there with his family, introduced me to tandem riding. Uh, uh, Stephen is blind, uh, so he has a tandem mountain bike. I tend to go on the front, works better that way. Um, and we go out for tandem, tandem mountain biking together. It's an absolute blast. I love it. Um, heading down hills at speed into obstacles on a tandem is, is quite an experience and it's different from riding a single bike. Uh, on a tandem, you're a team. Uh, and the trail's technical, so there's, there's constant talking and there's working together. There's timing the pedals and timing the gear changes and weight shifts. Now, you can ride a, ride a tandem bike by yourself. In fact, I have and do from time to time to practice. Um, riding with some with no one on the back, it works okay. Uh, and when I do that, the practice shows I am better when we ride together. But it's when there's two riders on the bike talking to each other that that's what the bike's made for and it really sings. So it is with the Christian life and the word of God and living by the Bible. It's fantastic to read the Bible on your own. In fact, we're handed out today, there's a little 
list of chapters of the New Testament. You can read through them and tick them off as you go. Reading the Bible by yourself, it's great to practice on your own and the practice will show in your life. But the journey of the Christian life really sings when we do it together. On the same bike, speaking the word of God to each other, encouraging each other on, on the same team. So, when and where do you speak the word of God to others? You hear a sermon on Sunday, that's great, I hope you're still listening. <laughs> um, but when do you use your second ear to speak it out to someone else? You're in a small group. If you're not, I really encourage you to join one. It's a place where you can speak the word of God to each other. Are you a parent of kids at home? Does God's word come up in daily life? Are you passing it on to them? I really encourage you. Pray with your kids when they're sad and pray with them when they're rejoicing. Perhaps you're single, even living by yourself. What do you do to make sure you spend time with Christian brothers and sisters where you can speak the word to them and they can speak it back to you? A few months ago, we had a, a friend over for dinner. We've only recently got to know him uh, and he lives by himself. He came over to dinner uh, and he gave us at dinner a, a lands, little landscape photo he'd taken with a Bible verse underneath. Oh, it's a lovely photo, great verse, and it's hanging on in our hallway now. And by that small thing, he has spoken God's word to our family and God's word is, that little piece of God's word is now part of our home. God's word is beautiful and it's in the Bible and it really lives when we speak it to each other. Well, up to point four. Point four, the rule and the examples. So we start with grace and the obedience we're called to is because of God's kindness in the past and his kindness in future promises, not in the hope that we're going to impress him. Because of God's grace, we want to listen to him and do what he says and what he says is in the Bible. And those words in the Bible become transformative and powerful when we read them and we speak them to each other. But is there any handy rule for life is there any way to capture those several thousand pages into something pithy and grabbable? Uh, if I pumped a Bible in front of you today and said, live by that, where do you start? It's so long. There's so much variety in it. Where do you go? Helpfully, there is a simple summary in the Bible, and it's in Matthew 22. Jesus gives it to us. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? Well, there's many to choose from. Uh, don't murder, don't have idols, don't be greedy. Perhaps some of the more esoteric ones from the, uh, the Old Testament, like what to make your clothes of or how to deal with mould in your house. That might be handy. Um, there's hundreds to choose from. But what does he say? He replies with two commandments. He says, love the Lord your God completely, totally, with all that you are and all that you have. And the second, love and care for other people. And then Jesus says, the rest of the Bible, the law and the prophets, every other page, every chapter is captured in these two. And so there it is. There's the rule, the summary, the biblical guide to life. If, you wanna, if you're a Christian and you want to live by the Bible, well, then there it is, that's it. Those two commands, love God with all you are and love and care for other people. But if then that's the case, well, why do we have the rest? 
What's the benefit of reading the rest if Jesus has told us the two most important bits? Well, bike riding in my family isn't just for me. My son Toby enjoys it too very much. Uh, and he's decided he's going to learn to manual. Uh, manual is a, is a bike riding trick. It's pretty easy to describe. Uh, you simply lift the front wheel and ride along on the back wheel without pedaling. Um, it's sort of turning a two-wheeled bike into a unicycle. Fairly easy to describe, but not so easy to do. Um, he spent many hours riding backwards and forwards out the front of our place practicing. Um, and he's also watched numerous YouTube videos. Example after example, this is where you put your feet, this is how you do your weight, this is how you work up little by, by little bit to this trick. And so it is, I think, with our Christian lives. While it's easy to state the rule, love God, love others, we need some worked examples and instructions. And the rest of the Bible is a bit like our YouTube. It's full of explanations and examples and snippets of wisdom and windows into the lives of other people of what loving God and loving others looks like. See, a sinful heart still lives in each of us and our judgment as to what love looks like in any situation cannot always be trusted. We need some direction. So the Bible includes helpful things like how does loving God fit with living under a government? Or how do you love your husband if he's not a Christian? Or how do you love God when your family's in turmoil or your possessions have been destroyed? Or what does it look like to love someone who you called a friend who does evil to you? Your exact circumstances might not be in the pages, but the Bible is full of hundreds and hundreds of examples of what love for God and love for others look, looks like and it gives us guidance on how to live. Incidentally, this is why the Old Testament is still so precious to Christians today. We can read through Deuteronomy or Leviticus or Chronicles and see them as irrelevant and dry. Or we can read through Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Chronicles and see them as worked examples of what love looks like. They're examples from a very different time and a very different place. They're examples from before the life and work of Christ. They shouldn't be ripped from their context, but they remain examples of what love for God and love for others looks like. So is there a pithy rule for life in the Bible? Well, yes, there is, in Matthew 22. And the rest of the Bible is filled with examples of what living by that rule looks like. So we get to point five, last in this morning's sermon. What does living by that rule look like in day-to-day -day life? What does living by that rule look like in some of the big decisions and some of the small decisions? Well, we've already talked about uh, the Word of God in community. If you're going to live by the Bible, you're going to seek out Christian community, places where you can speak and hear the Word of God with Christian brothers and sisters. But when we talk about living by the Bible, sometimes our minds will also jump to or the big decisions of life and God's guidance. Um, how, how does living in the Bible look with decisions like who to marry or what kind of career or should I change job or what should I study? For those of us who are young, uh, we can think about what decisions should I make? For those of us who are older, we can go, did I make the right ones? Um, we can worry about the choices our children or our grandchildren might make. But I want you to know this morning, living by the Bible is not a straitjacket. When we go to the Word of God, 
we find there is a lot of freedom, particularly when it comes to the big decisions of life. We have a lot of choice, and God loves to watch us make those choices and enjoy the world he's given us. One of my favourite verses in the Bible is Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9. It says, You who are young, be happy while you're young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. We're encouraged to follow our hearts, make choices and enjoy them. There is a word of caution. We will be held accountable for the choices we make. So God doesn't tell you who to marry beyond some pretty broad wisdom. He says, marry someone of the opposite sex, don't marry someone in your family, and it's wise to marry uh, a Christian. God doesn't tell you what job to have. He says, go, be creative, enjoy your work, but know there's going to be a lot of toil along the way. God doesn't tell you where to live, just pick somewhere and get on with it. There is much freedom in living by the Bible, particularly in the big decisions of life. Uh, I have the privilege of helping coach my son's uh, soccer team. It's under 10 soccer. So we don't focus on the big things much. We don't really look at the goals or the score. But we do focus on the little things a lot. Uh, how we treat the opposition, how we treat the ref, how we care for our teammates, accuracy in passing and holding position on the field. So it is with living by the Bible. God has given us much freedom in the big things of life. And it's the smaller things of life that are of more interest to him. You can see it in the two commands in Matthew 22. God cares how you love him and how you treat others. So no matter who you marry, God cares about your daily decisions and how you treat them. Do you speak God's word with each other? How do you act when you're angry or frustrated? Small decisions about whether you're going to get to church this morning. Small decisions about whether you're going to walk away from that temptation or towards it. Small decisions about how you speak about colleagues when they're not there. Small decisions about are you going to lust after that item on the, on the store shelf that you really want. Living by the Bible means God gives us a lot of freedom. But he wants to craft our character every moment of the journey. He wants to craft you into the creation he made you to be. He wants us to flower into someone who loves God with all their heart and has genuine deep concern and care for others. I began this morning by asking, what does living by the Bible look like? Well, it means starting with grace. It means knowing the Bible is the word of God. It means speaking the word of God to each other in community. It means following the rule of Matthew 22, love God and love others. It means we have freedom in the big decisions of life but God cares about our character and the small decisions of life every day. What do you need to do? Do you need to remember that grace comes first? Do you need to treat the Bible as God's word, not just a book? Do you need to use your ears more and listen to God's word more, read alone or spoken by others? Do you need to open your mouth more? and speak God's word onto others more frequently? Do you need to realise and remember the freedom God has given you living under his rule? 
Or is there something in the small daily decisions you need to change to love God more? Is there something in the small daily decisions you need to change to love others more? Whatever you need to do, make sure you do it. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have come close to us even though we didn't deserve it. Thank you you've come close to us and given us the Bible, your word. We ask that you would give us the strength to follow it. Amen.